Follow along, I'll be reading from Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, church. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I want to encourage you to pick up a, a bulletin and notice all those announcements that we have uh, pertaining to our church family and all the things that we have going on. I want to remind our men about our men's retreat. Uh, I'm sorry, I just came from a retreat. So my brain is still asleep. At retreats, you get sleep, but you do not get rest. And so uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But our men's night out is coming up this Thursday, April the 19th. Uh, we'll be going to J.R. Steakhouse. House over in Eastview. If uh, if you can go and be a part of that, we're, you're encouraged to sign the list uh, in the foyer. The bus will be leaving at uh, 6 p.m. I want to encourage you to be praying for our young people who are uh, on on the retreat this weekend over at um, Horton Haven. Christian Camp, which is right beside Henry Horton State Park, just outside of Columbia. Uh, and we've had a great time this weekend. There's about 45 to 50 there uh, missing from our assembly this morning. But I want you to know, on the schedule, they are scheduled to be worshiping right now uh, as we are. And so they worship uh, with us, uh, though not with us in number here. But uh, do keep them, keep them in mind as they will be traveling back uh, today. I want to issue uh, some encouragement and challenge to you. Um, both of way of, of something that came out of our feeding our team challenge group uh, this past week and also of our young people at the retreat this week. Monday night, once a month, we have the opportunity to provide a meal for the men at Teen Challenge. And I want to share this story with you by way of encouragement, but also to let you know the impact that you play on these men's life and also challenge us that when we have visitors in our number, we remember these things as well. This past Monday night, there's, there's some new men in the group. One guy in particular has been there about a month. And they're going around sharing um, things and appreciations for what we do for them. And this gentleman, uh, not solicited, uh, with no preconceived ideas, made this statement. You remember a few weeks ago, they came to our Sunday night service. And this is what this man, who the way I understand his past, 
when he came to the program a little over a month ago, he was in bad shape. He's an older gentleman, and, and, and Vanderbilt actually sent him down here. And he's improving, but I want you to pray for him as well as the other guys because the way I understand it, he's also still struggling. But he said this. We go to a lot of churches in this program. He said, but the other Sunday night when we came to this church family, and when we come here to be fed, because of the people who came up and spoke to us, we felt more loved and more ministered to than anywhere else. Amen? And I want to commend you for doing that because that's not always easy. But I want to commend you for doing that, but I also want to continue to challenge us. Whenever we see anyone in our assembly, whether it's the men from Teen Challenge or whoever, let's make sure we're the ones that go speak to them. Because I'm here to tell you, it makes a difference. And it made a difference in that gentleman's life. And so I just wanted to share that with you and encourage you and challenge us to always be aware of who is in our assemblies and who is here so that we can always make people feel welcomed and loved and ministered to. Daryl Bell, turn your Bibles if you will to the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to look at the end of chapter 4. And we're going to talk about faith. I appreciate uh, Ryan reading to us from Hebrews chapter 11 and reminding us about faith and that it's impossible to please God without faith. Daryl Bell tells a story about Fred Craddock mentioning uh, some things to some ministers one time. And he said, To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready to go out in a blaze of glory. He continues on and he says, We think that giving our life, giving our all to the Lord is like laying down a thousand dollar bill on the table and saying, Here it is, Lord. And he goes on in this illustration and in this story and he says, When actually... What is being done when we offer our all? It's like taking that $1,000 bill, taking it to the bank, and having it deposited and, and cashed out in the sum of quarters. And so as we go out through our life, we're putting 25 cents here and 50 cents there. And imagine, if you will, a stack of quarters that adds up to $1,000. And so each time we do something for the Lord, we're adding on that coin and building that stack. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is how faith grows. And we see in this nobleman at the end of John chapter 4 how his faith grows. And that's what we want to focus on and think about this morning. That we don't want, we don't want our faith to remain where it's at. We want our faith to grow. And so I want to issue this challenge before we get into talking about this nobleman. I was thinking about this as it related to our uh, retreat. In fact, the, uh, many of you have seen the t-shirt. Uh, the book has on the front of it the same thing the t-shirt does. And on the front of it, it says, He, and a greater than sign, me. And the whole weekend, they, we've been talking with the young people and even reminding ourselves that He is greater than me. 
In other words, we spend time on a weekend to say, you know what, I need to be growing. I need to be different. I need to be challenged to remember God is greater than me. I appreciate those adults who go on these trips. But even more than that, we have some adults that go that do not have kids in the group. And we started the lesson off talking about the impact that we play, the role that we play, that sometimes we don't even realize it. Well, to one of those adults last night, several of the young people said in the, in the open session when they're giving feedback to each other, how much they appreciated those individuals. And what a difference and what an impact it made in their life. I want you to know there's approximately 40 plus young people that are not here this morning. I want to encourage us to let them know, first of all, hey, we missed you Sunday morning. But also I want to encourage us to do this. Just like the impact of simply speaking to those men... The impact that it made, listen, when you involve your lives in our young people, it makes an impact. And what better way to challenge our young people and help our young people as we think about faith growing and increasing and moving for our young people to look at adults who say, you know what? I don't want to remain where I'm at in my faith. I want my faith to be stronger. I want my faith to grow. Therefore, I'm going to encourage you young people, whether it's through notes, whether it's through speaking to them, whether it's through being involved in what's going on in the youth ministry and our children, our young children. Our young people and our children, they need adults to look up to. And I want to tell you, it makes a difference. Today we want to notice another miracle, one of many, the second one actually in the book of John, that Jesus has performed in this book. We want to notice verses 46 through the end of the chapter. Now remember, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And it was there that he performed that first, uh, uh, the first cleansing of the temple and announced his death and resurrection. He then leaves Jerusalem and heads toward uh, Galilee. And he must go through Samaria. And that's when he met that Samaritan woman. And you remember, just simply through the encounter, and he spoke when... Samaritans and Jews do not speak and men and women do not talk to each other, especially a rabbi to a woman in broad daylight. You see the impact that it made? And as a result, she shared her faith with her whole village. And they come to believe in Jesus. And after He came to Galilee, He was well received by the Galileans because they had seen these miracles that He had done. And then that's where we pick up in John chapter 4 and verse 46. And I want you to notice what happens in John chapter 4 verse 46 and following. So Jesus came to Cana of Galilee where He had made the water to wine. 
And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when his son got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the time, the same hour, which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when He had come out of Judea into Galilee. And I want us to notice this progression of faith from this nobleman. Notice in the first place that the nobleman, he came to Jesus with a crisis faith. You remember, he, he came to Jesus, he sought Jesus out, and he says, listen, come down, to my, I want you to come heal my son. And then Jesus makes this statement, listen, unless you people see signs and wonders, uh, you will by no means believe. And he says, listen, come down. Some versions say that he implored Jesus. Others say, uh, might say beseech. Uh, the term means to be to request. He, he's in a sense begging, pleading with the Lord, come down and heal my son. Now why did Jesus go back uh, to Cana? Not really known. Maybe he wants to uh, add to those seeds that he's already planted. Maybe he want to, wants to cultivate those seeds that he's already planted. However, when Jesus gets there, he meets this nobleman whose son was sick, from Capernaum, about 20 miles away. And he says, my son is at the point of death. This is not just some simple sickness. This, this is, he's at the point of death. Not much is known about this nobleman, or what it means to be a nobleman. Here's some ideas. Uh, Trent said about a nobleman, uh, the precise meaning of nobleman can never be exactly fixed. Either he is one of the king's party, a royalist, one who sided with the faction of the Herods, a king's officer, or one attached to the court. Uh, another says we do not know if he was a Jew or a Greek. However, the Greek word translated nobleman is also translated king's man or royal official. This meant that he was one of high rank. Now that's interesting to me. Because I can remember over the years when when we've talked to people, or uh, when I've been places and they talked about door knocking, they said, listen, people, people do not, not receptive at door knocking anymore. And I agree with that to some extent. But someone made this statement. It's because people today have everything they need. But here we have a high-ranking official that in a crisis situation, he seeks out Jesus. We all have known people like that, haven't we? Maybe we have been like that at times. When, uh, like these pictures you'll see on the screen next, when things are at their worst, that's when we turn to Jesus. Even people in general, out in the general public, 
When a crisis happens, that's when they turn to the Lord. But you see, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask, seek, and knock. And the idea of those words is that you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking. It's not just a one-time deal. It's not just in those crises. But it is in those crises that it's important that we remember, like the nobleman did, is to take that to the Lord. In those times, turn to Jesus. This man was about to lose his son. He was about to lose his son and he knew there was nowhere else to turn except for Jesus. Nowhere else to turn except to Jesus. Where do we turn in crisis? When our faith is in crisis, where do we turn? This nobleman, this man, person of high rank, probably wealthy, he knew that the place to turn to was to Jesus. It is interesting that when people in their crisis and in their crisis faith, when they come to Jesus, that Jesus never turns them away. He doesn't turn them away. Let us remember to also strive to be like Christ. When people come to us with a crisis faith or in a crisis, that we seek to be like Christ. He is greater than me. We seek to be like Christ and not turn them away, but to show compassion. Now here's an inter- interesting illustration that fits perfectly here. When we think about the compassion of Jesus, one of the ways Jesus taught people how to be compassionate is by His own example, but also by stories. And so you remember in Luke chapter 10, He tells His listeners about the Good Samaritan. Now, we remember, Jews and Samaritans do not like one another, right? And they deal with each other as little as possible. And so as the story goes, this man falls among robbers. And along comes a priest, a churchgoer, someone involved in in the work of God, right? And they see this person, likely a fellow Jew, and they walk by on the other side and keep going, I'm too busy, I have things to do. Maybe they did. Along comes a Levite. Levites were in charge of keeping up the temple. And and he sees the guy and he passes by on the other side. He likely too had things to do. Things to be involved in with the work of God. And he passes by on the other side. And Jesus says, listen, along comes this Samaritan. The unlikely person to reach out. We're so glad you're here. Why don't you come sit by me? Can I sit by you? What's going on in your life? Can I help you? The unlikely person, this Samaritan, he sees this person in need, and the Bible says when he sees the injured man in Luke chapter 10, he had compassion on him. He had compassion. 
And let us be that kind of people that when people come in crisis, that we do not turn them away. That we be like Jesus and we have compassion on them and we share with them. Crisis, pain, suffering is no respect of persons. Many in this building today have gone through those things. And so have those in our city. And let us be the kind of people like Jesus. And let us be the ones, maybe even at times the unlikely ones, that will show compassion on people in crisis. But notice in verses 48 and 49 that this high-ranking official, this nobleman, his crisis faith then moves to a confident faith. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And then this is what the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. It's urgent. Some people believe that, that Jesus has given a rebuke to this nobleman. But listen to the words of Warren Wearsby and what he suggests. This was not a rebuke of this nobleman. Rather, it was our Lord's lament at the spiritual condition of the people in general, both in Judea and Galilee. Do we look out in the world and lament at the spiritual condition of the people we're around? We should. We should. You see, the fact of the matter is, this nobleman, this high-ranking official, he had heard, he had heard about the things that Jesus had done. What do the people think about Christians and what Christians have done? Will they come to us in crises? Will they come to us when in confidence, knowing, hey, if I go to Christians, they will take this matter to Almighty God. James Kaufman said, The faith that falls down before the Lord and pours the soul's agony at His feet is always the beginning of something better as is proved here. You see, in his crises, he goes to Jesus because he has confidence. His faith is confident in that if anybody can take care of this matter, it is Jesus. He moved from a crisis faith to a confident faith. During the deepest, darkest days of the apartheid in South Africa, this was a time when uh, discrimination uh, was taking place. When the government tried to shut down the opposition by canceling a political rally, uh, the archbishop declared that he should hold a church service instead. In St. George Cathedral in Cape Town, South Africa, it was filled with worshipers. While on the outside, the cathedral was surrounded by a great police presence trying to intimidate the worshipers. And while the archbishop was preaching, they entered the cathedral armed and lined the walls. They took out notebooks waiting to write down what he said. But the archbishop would not be intimidated. He preached against the evils of discrimination, declaring it could not endure. At one point, he addressed the police directly and he said, You are powerful. You are very powerful. 
but you are not gods, and I serve a God who cannot be mocked. So since you've already lost, since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. And with that, the audience erupted in dance and song. And the police did not know what to do. Because their intimidation had failed. And you know what? Satan works that, de- that way. He's trying to intimidate us and say, you can't make it. And we should stand up and declare, you know what? I can't make it by myself. But I serve a God who cannot be mocked. I serve a God who I have confident faith in that He will deliver. And that was the message to the churches and the Christians in the book of Revelation. Endure. Because we serve the living God. We are on the winning side. Do you remember in Mark chapter 5, the confident faith of the woman who had the flow of blood? You remember all these people were around Jesus as He was going through this area. And the Bible says He's actually going to take care of healing another person. And as this crowd is around him and pressing against him, this woman, she comes, she says, listen, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Folks, that's confidence. I know if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And so she reaches through that crowd and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. She feels it. And Jesus realizes power has left him. And, she, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples said, all these people around? And then once he turned to the woman, she was afraid. But he says, woman, your faith has made you well. She came to Jesus with a confident faith. And this nobleman, this high-ranking official, knew if anybody could take care of his child, it was Jesus. And he moved from coming to Jesus only in a crisis with a crisis faith, to that confidence that Jesus could do it. And then Jesus confirms his faith in verse 50. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Jesus confirmed his faith. He believed the word of of Jesus, and he went his way. While Jesus wanted people to have simple faith in Him, coming to Him out of faith, whether even if it's in a time of crisis, He wants people to come to Him. He wants people to have confidence that Jesus is the one that can bring healing. And that's not always physical healing, but spiritual. John chapter 14 and verse 11. You remember what Jesus said, Believe me, And believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You see, He he tells those people, listen, if you're not going to believe me, I'm here in the flesh, at least believe because of the works. The nobleman came to Jesus because he had heard. He had heard. And he came to Jesus. I'm reminded of the confirmation of the faith of Abraham. Do you remember when God comes to him and he tells him in Genesis chapter 22, listen, Abraham, I want you to offer Isaac your son. The promised son, by the way. 
And so he gathers his materials and he gathers his son and he gathers some helpers and he goes off to the mountain to pray or to worship. And they get a little ways off and he tells the servants, stay here, the boy and I, we're going to worship the Lord. And his son Isaac asked him, Father, um, we're going to worship, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. They build the altar and they gather the wood and it even binds Isaac his son and he lays him on the altar. That must have took faith. And Abraham is there with his knife ready to take the life of his one, his promised son. And because of that righteousness, the Bible says his faith was concerned and it confirmed and it was considered as righteousness to him. You see, no matter the depth of faith that leads one to Jesus, we must not think that it's acceptable to remain in that position. The nobleman didn't. Abraham did not. Others did not. We must move our faith to a deeper faith. Remember, why is that? James chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons even know that. And Jesus wants our faith to move. Not remain where it's at. To grow. And this leads to the final thing that happened with this nobleman. In verses 51 through 53. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father, the Bible says, knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And notice what happened. And he himself believed and his whole household. These servants come anxious to tell their master this good news of joy. And then he realizes, listen, it was when was it? When Jesus said, your son lives. I wonder, I wonder if maybe the nobleman thought, um, because Jesus says it, I, you know, I, I believe what Jesus says. I've come to Him in confidence. I wonder if he thought that maybe in time his son would get better. But you see, it was revealed to us that it was when Jesus says, your son lives. He believed that Jesus was of God. And he shared his faith and his belief with his family. You see, he come from a crisis situation. He had confident faith that Jesus was the only one he could turn to and Jesus could take care of the matter. Jesus confirmed that, his faith, and now, guess what? It continued moving. It didn't stay there. He didn't just say, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you, I appreciate it, and go about His way without sharing what had happened in his life. Do you remember in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas, they're praying and singing at midnight. And while they're doing that, this earthquake 
comes and, and breaks all the, the chains and, and breaks the doors and, and the jail is falling apart and all the prisoners are, are released. The Philippian jailer realizing now or thinking, hey, I, I, I stand in fear of death because the Roman government, they will take care of business. If I've lost these prisoners, I'm going to die. And he's about to take his life and all in silence I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're all here. He invites them to his house and, they, and he says, what must I do? What must I do? They begin sharing with him faith in Christ. And what did the Philippian jailer make sure that was there? Made sure his family was there. We talked about the men from Teen Challenge. We've talked about our young people. Let's add in there our family. Let's make sure we're reaching out to people that may be in a crisis. Let's make sure we're being involved in the lives of our young people. To say our faith is growing, we want your faith to grow as well. And let's never forget those people that we love and care about the most. Our family. Those that we are around on a regular basis. Has your faith moved or grown recently? Maybe in the past few months or the past few years. Here's a question for us to contemplate this morning. If not, why not? If not, why not? Let's continue to place our faith in Jesus. Let's seek Him during times of crisis. Showing our confidence in Him. Allow Him to confirm that and then share that. Let it be contagious and share that with people. Listen, I want to tell you about my faith. And here's why. Because God has done amazing things in my life. What are you talking about? He's given you all this stuff and He's taken care of your physical needs and those kind of things. He's healed people in your life. No, not just because of that. See, yeah, some of that. But because the difference He's made in my life. And because of the difference He's made in my family's life. And because of the difference He's made in my... Here we, here we go. Our church family's life. That's why you need to know about faith in Jesus. The faith of this nobleman grew because of his encounter with Jesus. How about us? How often are we having encounters with Jesus? You see, most people, including our families, would rather see our faith in action than to hear us talk about it. Amen? They want to see it in action. And young people, I'm telling you, are the most observant. And so was that gentleman at Teen Challenge. Because he said this, We are the hardest on ourselves. And so when someone else is getting on us and being a little hard, we notice that ten times more 
than some other things. But we also notice when people show genuine love and compassion. And that's a powerful statement of faith. In closing, I want to share with you a story about a tugboat. The tugboat Cahaba. This happened uh, in 1979. And um, I have several pictures here, so as I'm telling the story, I want you to notice the progression of what happens. This happened, he was headed down the Tong Bigby Waterway uh, in Alabama. Uh, the, the, the river was flowing fast, the water was flowing fast. It, it's obvious that the water had risen. He pushed the barge of coal uh, through, through the area, up under the bridge. Uh, but yet this boat couldn't make it itself and he began uh, putting his 1800 horsepower twin engines in reverse to get away but he moved slightly and when he did the boat started turning and the force of the water forced the boat down under the bridge and in astonishment with the captain and crew still on board rolled under the bridge and to the astonishment of the onlookers it came back up on the other side and landed in the upright position with its engines still going and the captain still at the wheel. Why? Because it was ballast with a meter thick lining of cement on the bottom of the hull. It is a vivid reminder that life can often go horribly wrong but if we have the right ballast, faith in Christ, then we can get through it and emerge upright on the other side. You see, the challenge for that nobleman was to not keep his faith where it was, but to move. And that's the challenge for us today. To grow in faith. Maybe you're here today and you've been in a crisis. And you're turning to Jesus. You're showing confident faith that God can do wonders in the midst of your crisis. It may not turn out like you want it to, but God can do wonders in your crisis. But don't let it stop there. Keep growing in your faith in the Lord. And share it with those you love and care about. Listen, since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and since the beginning of the church, no matter what the Roman government had done, no matter what any other government had done, those who remained faithful and grew in their faith were blessed beyond measure. Maybe it is you're here today and you need to turn your life to the Lord. We can assist you in that. If you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and He died for you, you can die to your old self today in those watery graves of baptism to rise in newness of life like many of those did in the New Testament. And to go on your way rejoicing, now placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it is you're here today and you need to pour out your heart to Almighty God. You need to ask your church family 
Pray with me. I'm struggling. Listen, some of that was shared last night with our young people. And it was powerful. The love and the relief because of faith in Christ and prayer was amazing. And you too can experience that today. As together we stand and sing.